0: you there you're filling a a space that is not that was not being filled and it's like you're doing it well and it just goes to show that like there's a good there's a good fun engaging interesting you know entertaining way to do anything if you care about it and you like you know or and you're you're good at it which you guys are um but yeah no thanks for the kind words uh you know uh, it's it's been quite a journey looking forward to continuing it uh but yeah make sure here's my plug give give these guys a a nice uh five star rating and and review if you're listening to this that would be my ask
1: (laughs) yeah listen to john thanks (laughs) this is hot hand theory this is a podcast where we talk about the NBA and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co host, XJ. He is my brilliant co host, Jeff. And today we have with us a true legend in the Knicks content creation space. Do not shake your head at me, sir. <laughs> a true legend. If you listen to High Hand Theory, uh, Jeff was saying this right before we started recording. You obviously know who this person is. He is the dean of Knicks Film School, Jonathan Macri. J Mac, thank you so much for taking time out of your insane schedule to come on Hot Hand Theory. It's genuinely an honor. I want to ask how you're doing, but first, I want to ask you this question. This is a huge question I've had for you for like forever. Oh my um, God. And I, and I want to start with it, which is if you had to estimate how many hours you spend on a microphone on a monthly basis, so that's including, you know, like the post game streams, the recorded podcasts, guest spots like this one exclusive content for you know the kfs patrons watch alongs all of that oh, stuff shit. how much time do you think we're talking on a monthly basis
0: <laughs> well first of all thank you for the undeserved uh, kind words uh, <clears throat> uh that's a great question i'll do some quick math and i will say what do they, they play about f- 13 14 games in a month right on average
1: on average yeah
0: all right. So I've gotten better about actually taking some, some rest days. I've turned into Kawhi Leonard in my, in my <laughs> old age here. Um, so I'm probably on like what? 11, 12 post games a month. So figure average time of those 25, uh let Let's go with, oh my God. I don't know. 40, 40 hours. Probably right. That's I, give or take. Five
1: or ten? Yeah, that's that's absurd. That's 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 completely mind blowing to me. I I, and I didn't. I I I specifically didn't include the stuff that you do on your newsletters. Obviously, any engagement on Twitter. It's. I I was just thinking about it because I feel like I'm swamped and overwhelmed, and I'm like, (laughs) and we're getting. You know, Jeff and I are talking to John about coming on the pod, and we're just. I'm just like, how does he have time to even spend an hour with us? So it's incredible.
0: No, I, but that's the other thing is like I used to do guest spots for anybody who would ask and Andrew like said when we, when things like really got nuts maybe a year or two ago, whatever it was, Andrew was like, dude, it's, a, it's okay to say no sometimes. And I hate saying no, because I always remember the people when I when like Nick's film school pod was nothing. And I, I asked people to come on who were like way, way, way too good to come on the show. And they would always say yes. Um, I guess the, the reason I, Am a little bit more judicious with my time now is i know all those people that i asked to come on did not have uh f- full-time jobs in addition to the their full-time job doing whatever right. they did in sports media or content creation or whatever you know and then i also try to like give a lot of time to my family too so um but yeah i mean between that and like just total laptop hours i would say there's probably another i don't know 50 60 in front of the laptop like working on the newsletter and stuff so it's it's a
1: that's crazy i mean it's a labor of love
0: though i'm the luckiest guy in the world that i get to do it because that means people give a shit about what i have to say which i don't you know, that's great <laughs>
1: we know we know we know they certainly do based on what i've seen as far as engagement and all the things that how huge Nick's Film School has grown, and I'm super excited to be part of it. But You're, you are part of it. Right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like <laughs> talking You're about it like another. It. And I'm in my Hot Hand Theory hat right now, John. My KFS hat is on is on casual Fridays. Um, Jeff, Jeff, to bring you into this, uh, how are you doing? How is everything going? Are you excited to talk with John about some Nick's stuff?
2: I'm super excited. This is a huge deal for me. We got to host... Uh, what was it? it was called Math Class, I think, on KFS think, yeah. a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. That was awesome. Yep. That was like a huge honor to me. I always tell, you know, I've been on Knicks spaces. I've talked to other people. I actually got a direct message from a Knicks fan um, a few days ago. And it was someone who loves the Knicks, loves talking about the Knicks. It's always, like, in my comments. And he was like, do you just, like, respond to direct messages of anyone who messages you? And I was like, well, I was an account with 10 followers, and I direct messaged John, like, two and a half years ago and i was like i think i was bitching about like tibbs playing frank over alfred payton which even at the time i didn't realize was probably i I didn't or excuse me the other the other way around playing alfred over frank which at the time i i had no idea was probably a sore spot for john but john like took the time to be like Mm -hmm. uh gave me his time and i was like okay well i i'm trying this new thing what do you recommend and he was like dude just Keep putting out good t- content. People will come, like, and he's like, Do you have any questions? Like, I could I could go back and find the original DMs, but I feel an Don't obligation it, to Jeff. pay to pay his <laughs> kindness forward. Um, so I think it's really cool that he's come like this is a I, huge honor for
0: me. I will say sometimes it takes me like a month, but I will I always respond to people who DM me directly. I should probably shouldn't say that out loud. Um, but I always respond <laughs> to direct DMs which are like open, I don't even know how to close them. I don't know. Can I close them? I don't know. Uh, Not that I would ever do that with the exception of like around like trade season and free agency time when like people will be like, are the Knicks getting so-and-so or like, like what, you know, when are we going to trade for like, like stuff like that? I like, I just, I'm not going down that road, but if it's, if it's anything related, if it's like, you know, so, attempting to engage in some sort of conversation other than just like, tell me if we're getting this player. Not that I fucking know anything. Sorry, I should curse on this You can curse on this podcast. I'll try not to. I, I always I always do try to engage. But anyway, enough enough about me. Let's talk about that next. Yeah. I, will,
2: I will say, John. I think the more I learn about you and the more I watch your post games, the more I watch you interact with Andrew me and Andrew share the same like psychotic memory for sports. Like me and Andrew are very similar in that regard, but regarding everything else, I feel like me and you are to XJ and Andrew, like all the stuff you talk about with the technological technology side. If you had heard the conversation we were having before you hopped on about how XJ does the screenshot thumbnail, I have no idea how he does it. I I I'm clueless with that. And he's like, explaining it to me and he's like how meticulous it is. And I'm just like, Whoa i <laughs> that's not me. <laughs>
0: I barely know what a thumbnail is, so just don't don't ask me to define it. I'll say that.
1: <clears throat> well, of the three of us, of the three of us, as the person who knows what a thumbnail is, I am going to push us into Nick's talk. It's enough enough tears, enough sappy uh, odes to John. Je- we're we're going to put John on the spot right now. That's what we're going to do with some big Nick's questions. Uh, here on High Hand Theory, we generally talk a lot about variance, regression to the mean, you know, all of these statistical concepts. We, what we really care about are sustainable trends and observations or outputs that we expect to see over a large sample size. So, you know, those sustainable long-term expectations, we would consider real, right? And things that we, do ex- we expect to change either in positive or negative direction, we consider not real. Pretty simple. Um, so with that in mind, we like to play this game with our guests that we currently call Real or Not Real. I mean, it's not very creative. We consider calling it like Hot or Cold or something like that, but that didn't sound not doesn't work. But anyway, uh, John, when we first knew you were going to join us, it was like, OK, this is perfect. The Knicks are going to have played like 35 games. We're going to have yeah. a really solid <laughs> sample size. We'll have a good sense of what's real and not real. And then. Nope. The Knicks got OG and Anobi, <laughs> and do. And I'm not saying we could throw out everything out the window from the pre-OG era, but things are certainly different. So, you know, we're going to really need your help on making some predictions oh. using a small sample size. Um, so, oh, yeah, for the game, Jeff and I have pre- uh, prepared a few trends uh, that we've noticed. Uh, Jeff, actually, do you want to get started? you want to go first with the, the first one that we want to talk to John about?
2: Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So something that interests me a lot about... The current knicks right now is um we're really starting off starting off with a banger here but um i've been really intrigued by the deuce mcbride minutes um okay. De- deuce is uh, i think he's currently playing around like 15 12 to 15 minutes off the bench and a lot a hot topic of his minutes has been well you know he's doing a lot of things well but he's really highlighting the Knicks' need for another initiator. They need to go out and get another initiator. Malcolm Brogdon's been tossed around. DeJounte Murray's been tossed around. I'm such a macro thinker, and I can't help but look at the minutes as – I kind of like just how they're winning their minutes. I know they're not the same as when Jalen Brunson's on the court, but when you put Deuce McBride next to Quentin Grimes, Josh Hart, and OG Ananobi, you have arguably the best defensive foursome in the entire NBA. And so on one hand, you can look at those minutes and say, is there enough offensive creation long-term? Is, is this a s- sustainable solution? On the other, you can look at it and say, this defense is so good, we should really pl- let it play out. So my question to you, John, at to UXJ is, are the Deuce McBride minutes going to sustain, or do we expect the Knicks to seek an outside solution?
0: Um, do you want me to go first? <laughs> I Well, first? my my short answer is that I actually let me take a step back i was gonna just like start off the bat with what i what i it, my initial gut reaction was well let me the obvious answer is that at some point they will look for an outside solution and then i have to think about the contract they gave him and the fact that like and i don't want to bury you know beat a dead horse because this has been oft discussed over recent days but like I don't think you could give a guy that kind con- mean, it's not this a, a break the bank contract, but I don't think you're going to give a guy that contract at this point, you know, when there's like no real competition and like, what is he really going to do? That's going to like blow up his market, you know, between now and the end of the year. Um, unless you have some modicum of faith that he's going to be able to continue to be on the floor for this team, which is trying to win every game, you know um, that said, like Deuce, I I kinda it's probably not the last time I will say this on the show. I kind of side with Benji on Deuce, which is that he is more of a small wing than a point guard. Now, does it matter? I don't know. Not necessarily. I guess it depends on who else you have out there. I mean, the so that's but that's the other part of it is like the group that you mentioned. Are we sure that's going to be the group that he's going to be playing with? Because you you mentioned him with the with the three backup. Uh, or with sorry with with Grimes and and um and Hard who are the backup wings but then OG, which I I was about to look up like how many minutes that foursome has has played together, um but I I feel like maybe it'll be that maybe it'll be Randall in the spot I feel like we're that's a problem it's been four games so we're still learning about like what the what the groupings are, and like the games have been so wildly out of whack in terms of like who's produced during what minutes so it's like Deuce in the past four games has played forty five minutes they're like. You know they have a 108 offensive rating during that time, but like it's 45 minutes. So who, like, I don't want to draw too many conclusions. I guess my my simple answer is it it would be it would be more comforting from like a traditional 2023 basketball perspective if he was like the archetype of a point guard because like everybody has the same shit that they run every team, mo- most every team has the same stuff. It's like you know pick and roll, drive, kick, you know whatever. And he doesn't really, he doesn't really do that, but he's also an interesting piece. Like I love the, I love, the, but there's also other variables. Like, I don't, I don't want to drone on and on, but like, I love his connection with Hardenstein. Like that's a big plus, that's a big value add for me when you have Deuce on the floor, but he's currently not, he, he's currently not matched up with Hardenstein because Hardenstein is a starter. And it's like, so anyway, actually, what are what are your thoughts?
1: no i i mean i think those are really helpful thoughts Uh, for me so i i I did my i did my homework and i listened to cap or no cap uh you know Mm -hmm. this morning and uh, x-link by jeremy obviously as always as always and i and i agree with you i think i think deuce is a kind of a small wing not really like an on-ball guard at this point at this stage he can't really get into the paint like you know even other guys that they have coming off not really that they have coming out. They don't have anybody who can get into the paint besides Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. So basically, I, I mean, I like the Malcolm Brogdon idea from cap or no cap. And I think that's kind of where I've settled out Now, for me, the question really is, is there a price at which they won't go to get Malcolm Brogdon? And I think that there clearly is a price. Like, they're not going to pay whatever it takes if Orlando outbids them. They just get outbid, and I think they'd be okay with that. But then what are the plan B options? I do not like the DeJounte Murray option, personally. I've Mm -hmm. never been on board for DeJounte Murray for a lot of the reasons that you all talk about. If people want to hear that, they can go to KFS and listen to Cap or No Cap. But... I am not on board for DeJounte Murray. And to me, those are probably the two most viable options. Otherwise, why are you bringing someone in? So I just, to me, I, I can just see if the Brogdon thing doesn't, thing doesn't work out. And this is what we have. I think you have to figure out how to make it work. And how do you make it work? To me, it's like you just put Randall out there with, with Deuce or you put... Brunson out there with Deuce, he has to have a creator with him and you play him like a two, like a small wing um, and, you know, utilize his shooting, his defense. And I think if you have like certain units out there with Deuce McBride, you're talking about a really elite defensive unit. You're talking about a, a mm-hmm. defensive unit that could hold teams to like a hundred points per hundred possessions, something yeah. completely insane, like 1990 style, like you're not going to score style defense. So I feel like there are ways you can make it work. They aren't the ways that we probably want to see, you know, and I think that that's the issue because I don't think that it's going to feel good when we're going, you know, five minutes without scoring a basket, but also the other team is all not scoring. Well, it's just going to be tough to watch. So that's kind of where I'm at with it.
0: Jay, I want to jump in real quick? Cause I, just cause I brought it up, I looked it up. These, these are comical. So the, so there's the, the two different versions of the backup unit. One with Ananobi at the four or the other with Randall at the four. When, when it's the when it's the randall with um with uh achua 81 uh points per 100 scored uh when it's uh an Anobi with achua and again mcbride hart and grimes the other three um <laughs> this is so funny this is why sample sizes are the smallest are so ridiculous it's 130 yeah. points per hundred scored when it's with Hardstein, and Anobi an 88.9 scored when it's Hardenstein and Randall 122.2 so like I just threw those four out there to make, and they're yeah. all between five and eight minutes or, or four of those items. so it's like we're so early I don't even know yeah. how to make heads or tails of like any of this stuff but like yeah I think what you said is, is kind of dead on
2: yeah and to expand on XJ's point just a little before we move on to our next topic I do think that the idea of being able to win different ways has a heavy correlation to success in the playoffs. Like this idea that the Knicks are trying to check all the same boxes for 48 minutes. I know this is a different subject, but I think that they should coach Jeffrey here. I think that they should embrace trying to win in different ways over the totality of the regular season, because I think you always get hit in the mouth in the playoffs. I think that's just an in, in, in inevitability. I think teams prepare for the best version of your team. And I think it's good to have a different way to win. So like, I mean, what are we talking about right now? The next starting lineup right now is looking like one of the best lineups in the entire NBA. It's hard to see that lineup getting hit in the mouth. But if it does, if maybe Brunson's defense gets a little exposed in the playoffs or Randall's a little lackadaisical, or we're going to get to him in a bit, but Hardenstein isn't the supernova we're seeing right now, it's good to be like, okay, now we have these guys who can come in and yeah, maybe they can't score like Brunson and Randall can, but they're going to slow the other team down and they're going to hit the other team back. And all of a sudden, they're changing the paradigm for the other team. So while it won't look the same as with Brunson and Randall on the court, I do think there is some merit to living with the lows of the deuce Deuce mcbride's offense at the moment and just seeing if seeing what he can give over the next 20 games before you jump to a trade
0: yeah well and to be clear the the deadline is um i believe it's 19 no is it 19 games away no it's it's 19 exactly
1: one month away
0: it's 19 games into the all-star break i always get these two things confused so the deadline is like 15 or 16 games away um I again just going to Brogdon, like Portland's written it out this long. Like I would be absolutely shocked if they traded Brogdon before we got to like deadline day or like the day before or whatever. So like Deuce is gonna get time and that's good. The the thing that I think is interesting to me is again the backup center. Like I I don't think I don't think a chew is long for this team. I think they're gonna move a chewer for I don't know who it's going to be, but I think someone or maybe it's not even a show. Maybe they 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 they, they'll, they will figure out a way to get another five on this team. I fully believe that I would be actually frankly shocked if they didn't. I think Tibbs kind of tipped his hand already when he didn't feel comfortable putting Precious into a game against the um, Washington Wizards.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, John, John <laughs> did you and Jeremy discuss uh, Clarkson and Olenek? Uh
0: No, we didn't.
2: I well, no, Cl- Olenek
0: has come up. But Jeremy, because he did a little cap or no cap on possible back of fives at some point, I think, in his opinion, he just thinks Olenek is so far away from like the sort of center that they typically look for. Like, so, well, in any case, um, so like it's it's hard for me, it's hard to have this conversation without knowing, like, okay, who's the center that they get, and then just like I love that you brought up the playoffs because to me, like, what do we know? We know there's never going to be a minute, I mean, barring injury, where both. Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle will be off the floor at the same time in the playoffs. That is not ever going to happen. I would be shocked. We, if we Deuce... know that John. I think we know that.
2: He did I, it I would last year. Be... Sh- he did. The, the most important stretch of last season was that three it, minute stretch in game six. When I completely Knicks agree got... with
0: you. And, and it was, well, it was McBride, Barrett, Hart. Who else? Was Obi, on Hartenstein, Obi, Obi yeah. and, Hart and, yeah. and Hartenstein and Hartenstein. That's right. And I think he probably banked on RJ being able to carry a little more load and it didn't it didn't go so well. I I feel comfortable saying at this point that look, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But you are you're, you're right to bring that up. In any case, let's assume that that's the case that he, one of them will be on the floor so Brunson's off obviously here Rand will be on. Let's figure a better center and then, you know, with like you know, gr- figure Grimes and I, I guess Hart. Like I I would have faith in that group probably for a three four minute stretch. Uh, I but it's it's because that's really what these games are decided on. They're decided on three four minute stretches. But anyway, um, we could we could move on to the next topic. I could, like, I could talk about all these topics for like an hour, and we probably shouldn't do
1: that. <laughs> we could just go one topic for the entire for yeah, the entire right. episode. Let's talk about surprise um, for an hour. It would uh, it would make us stand out. We'd, we 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 would be unique in that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there is a guy that I would talk about for the entire episode, and Jeff alluded to him, and and John, you alluded to him, Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh gotta yep. ask you about this guy, Hartenstein. Uh, Mensa and I have been out in front of the Isaiah Hartenstein bandwagon, and uh, you know you'll love this. Though. I well, there doesn't seem to be a Hartenstein hive, but you know at this rate, <laughs> at this rate one is coming, and I have there two should be in front one. of me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean there there should be one at this point. There's if there's hives for. Some other guys, I won't say. There should be a Harnstein Hive. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, at this rate, it's, it's got to be coming. In my estimation, he just outplayed the MVP of the league in Joel Embiid. Um, yep. He's essentially broken defensive EPM. Um, <laughs> he's currently of plus 4.6, which I will say I looked into this a little bit. The only guys who have had a greater impact according to that metric since 2016, Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green two of the most impactful defensive players of all time. (laughs) They're they're the only two. Um, He currently has a, it's crazy. He has a 2.3 steal percentage and a 4.2% block percentage. The only centers who have hit both of those marks this year are Xavier Tillman in in very few minutes. And ironically, I mean, I'll let you guys guess who do you think the other guy is, the other center who's hit both both of those marks, 2.3% steal percentage, 4.2% block percentage. So just, I know
2: the answer and me and me and XJ haven't talked about it. So I'm going to let John, I'm going to, I'm just going to let John is guess.
1: It, is it Mitch? It is it Mitchell is. Robinson. Mitchell <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> so I, I know I, because yeah. I was tracking
0: his steal numbers for a while too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's doing a Mitchell Robinson impression and I, he's doing a little better at it. I'm, i i got to be honest. He's, he's still around top five in offensive rebounding percentage in the NBA um but one of the better passing centers in the league and we know there's more you can do on that end he's 25 years old sixth season in the nba john is this the hardenstein breakout is this real um and if so as a free agent this season what what are the knicks going to do here
0: well so let me work let me work backwards um i'm just looking up some some of the on off numbers like so, like, again, assists aren't everything, and I don't know how much you guys, like, delve into, like, specific stats and their value or, like, their lack of value. I, I don't I don't know enough to say, like, oh, assists are a waste of a statistic. I don't think they're a waste of a statistic, but I also think... No,
1: I wouldn't say it's a waste, no.
0: No, it's not a waste, but it's also, like, I don't know if it's the be-all end-all. I think teams can, like, do good things that, like, indicate good process on offense without necessarily having a huge assist percentage. In any case... So With hardenstein on the floor this year, 58.2 assist percentage with Mitch on the floor, 56.7. So you got that, and then effective field goal uh percentage with hardenstein on the floor, 55.4, and then Mitch, 53.3. Um, there, i there's other reasons why we can we, we we might see that that variant, and those two obviously, those two numbers are created cor- correlated because you hit more shots, you're getting more assists, so like. Um, but I, for me, the Hardenstein part will always be the offensive part first before the defense. And I told, I, I love defensive VPM. I think it has a lot of value, um, as an indicator. I just like, I remember after the, we got eliminated last year and like watching the, you know, watching the rest of the postseason and trying to like draw some conclusions. I wish I always try to do this. It's always fruitless. But I always try to like watch the watch the rest of the playoffs and be like, what do we need? Oh, I know we should get a center that does everything. That's a great idea. Um but there's only one of those and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But I did come away from the playoffs thinking to myself like man, can you operate at a at a championship level with a center who is essentially I don't want to call him a zero because Mitchell Robinson is not a zero. In fact, one of the things that centers are asked to do on offense, he is better at than, than anybody in the league. And that's like an important thing, but it's basically just that other than catching lobs. And we are a team that doesn't have anybody who throws good lobs. So it's like, that's not, I don't really consider that a huge part of the Mitchell Robinson arsenal. So like, and then you watch Harden out there and I don't need to, go, anybody th- I, I, listening to this is obviously a diehard Knicks fan. I don't need to go through all the ways that Isaiah Arnstein changes your life on offense with what he can do. And like, you know, it's, it's just incredible. And I just, that's the part for me. And the defense is more like that. I, I think about it less in terms of like, he's like the next coming of Rudy Gobert, but more like whatever drop-off exists is not such that, the what you're getting on offense like it's it's worth the drop off is worth it right if again to the extent that there is a drop off and we could have a discussion if you want about whether you think there actually is but like that's that's kind of where i'm at and i had this conversation with with fred Katz the day like a day or a couple days after mitch was announced he was gonna go down for the year and that conversation aged like fucking milt Milk left out in a on a hot July day immediately in the aftermath because the Knicks went on to continue to have the worst defensive rating in the league for the month of December. And most of that was without Mitch. And I was like, well, that now I sound like an asshole. But now we have OG Ananobi instead of RJ Barrett. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe that one piece, if it's the right piece, can make that big of a difference. So I'm I'm pro iHeart, can we keep him? Yeah, we could keep him, but I, I think it is going to require them at the very least to open up their chest checkbook to the fullest extent that they can, which in short means paying him um, a couple million dollars more per year than the mid-level, unless you think some team is going to use cap space, which is another conversation.
2: I just want to say that you brought up, you're like, oh, I don't know if you guys, you know, emphasize certain stats over others. The way you talked about E field goal percentage and assist percentage was perfect. And it was exactly how we would talk about it. Like we had a whole spiel earlier this season about Julius Randall's rebounding Mm -hmm. and any most Knicks fans would look at Julius Randall's individual rebounds over his Knicks career. And we would talk about, and they'd be like, Oh, he's a really good rebounder. Like actually the best way to tell if somebody's a good indicator, a good rebounder, isn't a good rebounder is how they rebound with you on the court versus how they rebound with you off the court because that's how you can tell somebody's rebounding impact. And Randall's rebounding impact has been pretty neutral over his Knicks career. Like they just... So anyways, this is a long way of saying, yeah, like that's how you tell how great Hartenstein's passing is over Mitch's and, you know, is how much more efficient the team is playing with Hardenstein over Mitch and how much more they pass. These are the little subtle ways that maybe don't show up in direct assists or, you know, th- this is how you can tell the Hardenstein offense is that big an upgrade. And I just couldn't agree with you more overall because this defense just can't be real. I'm sorry. Like, like it is like EPM is capturing it, but I don't know. Actually, you talk about it all the time. Like small leaps are believable. RJ Barrett going from 32% to 50% as a three point shooter. It just isn't, it wasn't (laughs) believable. Isaiah Hardenstein going from, I mean, he was in the 81st percentile as a defender or excuse me. He was in, Um, yeah, he was in the, he was in the, he was in the 92nd percentile, uh, defensively in, in LA. I
0: was going to say like, what's the, what's the, I mean, I know he fouled a lot, right? When he was in LA, he was very foul prone. If I, if I'm, Mm -hmm. if I recall correctly and if I'm completely misremembering, please let me know. I, I, I thought he was, he was foul prone, but like just judging from last year, like he was hurt for the first uh, two and a half months, or closer to three months, maybe, and then he felt healthy again. Like what we're seeing from him defensively this year, I don't, I don't feel like I'm watching anything unsustainable. Like, and it also, like, I, see, this is where I get into trouble because, like, I, I don't, t- defense is always going to be more of an eye test thing for me, and I understand that's not going to be a popular take with the show that is about advanced st- stats. But like, I, I watch that dude, and I'm like, he's, I don't, I don't need. I'm glad the defensive metrics back it up, but like I see him in pick and roll coverage. I know he's doing a good job. I don't know. I don't think it's as good a job as Mitch, but like I feel like he's doing a great job. And I also feel like what could possibly be unsustainable about it? You know what I mean? Like we're, I'm not making this point clearly. Like from, I, we're, I, we're seeing enough from him on the floor defensively that I don't, I don't. This, I'll bring it home. I don't need the stats to tell me that the like like this is going to be something that continues, unless he just completely stops
2: playing like he's playing, which is like that's. So that's so that's not John, a thing, if, right? If if I can just jump in here, yeah, please. There's this there there's this idea that like think about three point shooting. Yeah. Everybody talks about the volatility of three point shooting. You know, like there's only so much you can control. Yes. There's actually more volatility than we understand to other parts of the game as well. Like, it's just hard to capture this level of impact. Certain things have to go your way. Um, It's just, he has caught lightning in a bottle for like 30 games here. And so to your point, you're 100% right. Everything that you just said is 100% right. He can give this level of effort and be this locked in, but just certain things that, and this is kind of a cop-out lame answer that we can't fully capture with our eyes. There are certain things that we can't fully capture with our eyes that just aren't going to keep going his way. Oh, totally. he may if he yeah. if he maintains this level of defensive impact, he should like win defensive player of the year. So like that, like and and that would be ridiculous to me.
0: So let me ask a question. When you're so and when you're saying like things that our eyes can't quantify, like there 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 are things that maybe he is not. Directly responsible for that are going his way, or is it exactly? I mis- okay,
2: exactly. That that's
0: that's perfect. That's it's perfectly. Fun. Perfect. To- totally. I so we're on the exact same page, and I guess my point is, and again, I'm not maybe maybe will make me sound like an idiot. I don't think I care. Not. I mean, I care because obviously, if they don't go his way as much, because the Knicks are going to be struggling more defensively, they're going to give up more points and lose more games. I care about that, but like in terms of evaluating. Him, I feel like, where I'm, I'm getting really, really close to seeing enough from him defensively to feel confident that in the right lineup, he could be a good enough defensive center in this scheme under this coach with pretty much this personnel, maybe give or take a little bit, to 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 like lead to sustained winning.
1: Yeah, so basically. jump in real quick because that's that's actually what i was going to say it's about the role to me that is is different in his career right i think that it's this scheme i think it's yeah. with this coach in this rotation yep. and it all has clicked really well for him and i agree with you jeff as far as like there being things that are happening that are going his way that we can't necessarily expect to continue to go his way that he might not be responsible for that's why we really care about the sample sizes but you know I think at the same time we look at these other metrics, we look at BPM, he's top 12 in defensive BPM. We look at LeBron, he's like top 20. So consistently they're rating him out. Like they're saying, this is a real thing that's happening. Right. And it's a relatively small sample size, but it's a reasonable sample size to make, to draw conclusions with, I think. And I don't think the conclusion is he's going to be the defensive player of the year, but I think the conclusion is he can play at around this level sustainably. Like, I think that that is something I feel comfortable saying at this stage and Not that, you know, I don't think that the leap is like now he's, you know, Embiid for the rest of his career, but I think he's going to be like a top, he can be a top 15, top 10 center defensively in the league. I think that that's totally possible.
2: And I think the point John made, like he was in last year, he was in the 81st percentile defensively in defensive EPM. So maybe like if he is actually, if he's actually gone from the 81st to the 90th percentile, I think John's point is just like, okay, who cares that it's not actually the hundredth percentile. He's still one of the best. He's still, he still made improvements that I'm seeing with my eyes. And I don't see why those can't be real, which I wholeheartedly agree with.
0: It's just funny. I'm looking up the lineup data. His, his, the most used lineup featuring Arnstein is uh, still is with two players who are no longer on the team and one player who he's no longer in, in a regular lineup with because it's Barrett, Quickly, Hart, and DiVincenzo, like the original, the original, original backup five. Um, and, you know, they were at 102.3 points per hundred. And then you look at him in his second most used lineup, which is the lineup that he was at um, until they made the trade, which is Randall Brunson, DiVincenzo, and Barrett. And that had a 127.4 defensive rating. So it's just so funny How you could see like the same center be a part of two like totally different lineups and obviously have two different totally different defensive ratings. I guess my main takeaway is like he's, you know, like that's why you you know we see Rudy Gobert. No, like Rudy Gobert was I don't know one of I don't know how many players over the last twenty years you could literally put on the floor with almost anybody and like in regular season games was going to get a certain defensive uh, rating. Like Hardenstein's not that, but he doesn't need to be. You know, um, especially with I think the way the roster is constructed now. But man, he's awesome. And, he's really good.
2: And I think I think you're highlighting his uh like how malleable he is. Like the fact that he can be in really good lineups that oh, yeah. are good because the offense is crushing, yeah. and then he can also be in really good lineups where the defense is just going like that's awesome. And I yeah. think that's being captured by the overall on off data. Cause he's now if you look at all the rotation players who have been Knicks this season, if you <laughs> If you count out OG Ananobi's preposterous number right now. Yeah. He's second on he's second on the Knicks behind the obvious
1: Emmanuel Quigley. But yeah. I, you know, I, I think we should, uh, I was just gonna say I think we should also really weigh with a grain of salt though any lineups with RJ Barrett in them at this stage. Well, um, because I think what we one thing that we found out, at least I feel like I'm finding out is how deleterious an effect RJ has had on the team with regard to their overall performance. Um, And, you know, we see that some in the impact metrics, but I think it's almost like undervalued this year. I think it really was undervalued because his beginning of the season was so good that it makes his metrics look passable. But what we're actually finding out is that recently he just has, you know, reverted to what he had been for most of his career prior. we,
0: I know you know the numbers as well as I do. All if you pick literally any lineup combination, it could be two men lineup, three men lineup, four men lineup, five man lineup from last season with RJ on the floor, and then you take look at the exact same thing with RJ off the floor. The I sat down and did it one day in like April. Like, I think it was before the playoffs, or or I was preparing for playoffs or something. And I like looked at them and I'm like these are fake numbers. These cannot be real. <laughs> Numbers, but they were actually they were real, and and then you're you're right. We got thrown off the scent for seven games, and then we, kind of, were reminded.
1: Yeah, I
2: but, I, you know. I I have a friend who built an entire argument for why Emmanuel quickly is overrated, around the fact that his his net swing is inflated due to not getting to play with R.J. Barrett, and he's like he's like a Wizards fan, I, and he was like, dude, he was like he was like, dude. You don't sure. understand how bad he's like. You don't understand how bad RJ is and how good not getting nah, to play with him is. But you're gonna understand <laughs> one day. And Listen, we don't. Like, we God, don't da- God damn it, dude. We don't want
0: to. <laughs> we don't want to bash RJ. i i I, I, I for, Great game last night. I was watching the game. Five three pointers. Oh. Good job by him.
1: We play great, that, yeah.
0: That team's yeah. flying around um for a lot of a lot of reasons. But so yeah, good good job you, by you. you.
1: You can excuse yourself from the conversation if you want, John. Jeff and I on this podcast, we just tell it how the numbers tell it. We tell it how it is. I mean, it is what <laughs> also, it is. Also
2: <laughs> also, I get shit on by both sides of the hive. So like oh. I'm it's like <laughs> I, I'm I'm literally on an island. Like I have people in my comments who say I love RJ too much because I'm still I try to be bullish on the long-term and like, I'm like, Oh, like it wasn't going to work on the Knicks, yada, yada. Here's why. And then I have people who like hate RJ or who, who love RJ say I'm not high enough on him. So I just can't win with any of them. And I've kind of given up.
0: That's that's <laughs> what, that's what being a, a, a content creator is all about. Getting everybody to hate you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that should be the goal. Anyway, um, uh, let's move on to topic number yeah, three. Yeah.
1: Let's go to number three, Jeff. You want to, you want to hit that one? Yeah.
2: Um. So you know, everybody who follows the Knicks is absolutely thrilled with Julius Randle's turnaround, as they should be. Um, mm-hmm. Slow start to the season, but he's been amazing since. I-, I thought even, like, the Sixers game when he didn't shoot well, there were a couple of plays where you were like, there was this one play where he got back in transition off the long miss where it was like, mm-hmm. man, I've seen him just pout after that and cost the Knicks a bucket in transition. But I feel like he's really been locked in, and I feel like – uh there was a Fred Fred Katz article recently about how he's changed his style and how he's become more of an inside-out player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shooting worse from three than he ever has, but he's also shooting fewer three, so his overall efficiency isn't as high. So my question to you two is: Is the style sustainable? And do we want it to be like Will for mm-hmm. the Knicks to the, get to the highest level? Do they need him to? start to pick it up a little bit from three or is it okay that he's mostly become a brute force on the inside that's a great question
0: um well fred had a great article today actually uh about about this I, he had written about it before and then he kind of went back through it today i would fall on the side of he can't he can't abandon taking threes. And I think he knows that. And he said as much, uh, the, I forget what the exact quote was that Fred had in the article today, but he's like more, it was, it's like more basically more about like picking a Like, I don't need to take that many threes. That's the thing is like Tibbs or someone in the coaching staff, whatever went to him before the last season and was like, you need to take, a lot of threes. Otherwise we, we will not have enough spacing to be a sustainable offense. And so he did. And like, we saw the results. It was, you know, high volume, good enough percentage, like whatever. But like, even the last three games, um, he's been taking more. And I wonder, does that not have to do a little bit with the fact that, um, I here, to me, the way you stop the Knicks, whether it's you're trying to stop Brunson or you're trying to stop Randall, it doesn't really matter. You should just stop him with length. You stop him with bodies, like you. You. That's what Minnesota does. That's what I feel like. Trying to think of another, like even like Milwaukee. Obviously, their perimeter defense is ass, but they do have like Giannis and like Brooke on the interior to the extent that those guys, are, are like yeah, um, you know Middleton. I was I was thinking of. Um, which, wait, there was another team. Even Philly. Like he struggled against Philly, so and what did Philly do? Like Philly had Ubre essentially at the two, unless you want to consider Batum the two in that lineup. Either way, both of those guys are kind of like long by long arm, like big, bigger for their position. Like both of those guys could conceivably be a four today, and they were the and they were the starting wings with obviously Harris at the four. And so I think, yeah, I think he knows he still needs to shoot threes, but then we get into like, all right, well what is randall's process when is he shooting those threes when is he not shooting those threes when is he using the threat of the three to try to drive or like vice versa like and then we get into randall's process which is 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 a is a interesting conversation um i don't know i i, I don't think he, i don't think he should abandon threes i'll just leave it at that and then we can uh, someone else talk <laughs>
1: Yeah, I <laughs> no, I think that's all right. I, as far as the Philly thing, to me, I felt like he was also much more passive. Like I don't know if it's a hundred percent what Philly did to stop him, as a, as opposed to like right. he seemed like he played differently to me. Um, but that's I that's an eye test thing. I definitely can't quantify that. Um, as far as the threes, like Randall is. Has anybody had as crazy a career as no. far as like shot selection and shot diet as Julius Randle? I, he must be number one in as far as players that I can remember. Like this guy went from shooting essentially no threes to like a ton of threes to like a few threes to essentially to back to down to like a medium amount. I, it's really insane. Like I'm looking at his uh, his seasons in 2018 and 2019 with the Lakers and the Pelicans. He took 11 attempts rim attempts per 75 possessions with the Lakers in 2018 and 10 yep. rim attempts per 100 uh, per 75 possessions in 2019 with the Pelicans. He's down to seven and a half this season. The last season, he was at five and a half. Like, he's all over the place. He's now, I think to me, playing like a hybrid of the way that he played with the Pelicans and the way that he's played in New York, which has been a lot more three-heavy. Last year, he had eight and eight and a half three-point attempts per 75 possessions, which was his career high by far. It's like not even close. It almost feels like it belongs to a different player's yeah. uh, trajectory. So he's just playing in this weird hybrid middle style. I think honestly, I think Randall can be successful at all of it is my personal opinion, because he has been, he's been successful without threes. He's been successful with threes. He's been been successful shooting a bunch of mid range shots. Like he's been successful at anything he's done. It's just about what, really works most for this team for this Knicks team for the the unit that he has surrounding him and i think for this squad that we have i mean with og i think the pressure is off of him a little bit more with th- the threes but i think he needs to space the court and everybody who knows me knows i care. Number one, my number one priority in the world is spacing and is being able to shoot threes um, to to make the game easier for everyone else on the court. And so I just, I don't think he can abandon threes. I think it's something he's going to have to continue to work at, but I don't think his shot is completely Shot, so to say, so to speak, <laughs> um, and you know his free throw percentage is is consistent. He he has dropped off of late. He was shooting really well earlier in the season, yeah. but I, I think he can get it back. But I just want to, I just want to say, I think it's incredible that Randall's been able to do what he's done in all of these different ways. I think that's uh, there's nobody like him in that regard. How much does the acquisition
2: of OG and the potential for Tibbs against certain teams? I don't think it's reasonable to expect Tibbs to do it against all teams but the potential for Tibbs to be like, okay, Randall, you're playing as strong and as just, you're clearly an interior presence right now. Maybe with OG and Hart and Grimes and DiVincenzo, all these bigger wings that the Knicks now have, maybe for, against certain teams, we can go eight minutes a night when Harnstein's not not on the court with Randall at the five. How much Mm -hmm. does that alter the potential equation in terms of Randall's three-point shooting? Because if Randall's getting those minutes... I don't think in those minutes, him shooting threes matters at all, at all, really. Like, yeah, it's nice to have the the threat of spacing, but I think those offenses will be good whether Randall's you know firing from three or not. I,
0: I, it's so interesting because we were talking before. It goes back to the first thing about Deuce, right, and the non Brunson minutes. Like to me, and Tim's has gone on the record. I don't know if he said it in as many words, but he has said things on the record that intimate that the only time he's ever going to go with uh small, like that level of small balls, if he's down by a lot and he feels like he needs to use it to get back in the game, which like we, that's a, that's a tips thing. We don't have to go into it, but like, it's also I,
2: really smart by the way, if you're, if you're down a lot, you want to increase the variance. Yeah. So like there is, there is, there is logic behind that,
0: but is that the only time you should be using it? I think. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. That, that no, that's, um, that's fair. Which is, you know, whatever. Um, But, it is an interesting notion that during non during non Brunson minutes, maybe that's the solution, right? Is Randall, at the, I know this is not what the topic was, it was about Randall's three point shooting. But so let's just say Randall at the five, OG at the four, can, can shoot Josh Hart at the three, nobody's going to guard him in the playoffs. Uh, pick and then, but then if so, but then is McBride not on the floor? Because then if you have DiVincenzo and Grimes out there. Is that so? I guess Chenzel is getting you into your defense, uh, or sorry, getting you into your, your offense. I mean, and that Hart, with... Tibbs trusts Hart, Tibbs, yes, he he does. And Hart is hard can Hart can do things, he could dribble a basketball. Um, I don't know, I'm just like throwing shit against the wall. I don't, I don't, it's interesting to me though. Um, but yeah, to your point, he, he wouldn't necessarily need to shoot threes in those alignments, but um. No, I think he needs to pick his spots. And here's the other thing is, like, it's so funny now. A Randall made three after he made a billion of them last season. Like, a Randall made three feels like a big deal again. Like, it's like an extra jolt of energy, which has nothing to do with anything, but I want to point that out.
1: In the We Here season, like, when he would make a – It took me all the way until the end of the season for when Randall would put up a three for me to be like, that's probably good. You know, like, you know, that feeling you get when like a a good shooter puts up a three, like the one that you get with DiVincenzo right now, where it's like every time he puts one up, you're assuming it's cash. Like it took me until the end of the season to really be like, I guess when Randall shoots, like. He's gonna make them. I don't know. Like it's <laughs> and but now it is like, whew, he made one. This is incredible. So the feel. It's just crazy how that feeling changes. So I don't know subs- substantially um, from season to season with a guy like Randall who can either run hot or cold.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I my not hot take is like same same as same as true last year. Same as true two years or two years before that the Knicks will go as far in the playoffs as Randall's play set. So, you know, like if, if he's, if he's the, the best version of himself, like they could be, they could go, they could go to Eastern conference finals. It wouldn't shock me in the least, you know, if he's the best version of himself, like we've seen for, I don't know, 15, 20 games this year.
2: I'm fully on board with that, that take because, and we brought up the Sixers game. I know tons of Knicks fans have been there way earlier and I watched the playoffs last season too. So, I I was there for the playoffs too, obviously that Sixers game was like one of the first times watching Jalen Brunson where I was just like, okay, so his production is just guaranteed. Like, it's just like, like, I know there's, I know there's game to game shot variants, but Nicholas Batum played amazing defense that game. Like he's long, he's tall, he's smart. And it just didn't matter. It was just like Jalen Brunson got to his spots. And so I finally am just like, Okay, he's just going to get to his spots against anyone. And I guess I should, that should have clicked for me when RJ Barrett was one pass away and Josh Hart was two passes away against Miami and Brunson was still putting up 40, like efficient 40. Like, yeah. I guess I, I, I'm slow to the, to the, and, and you know, I'm such a macro thinker that I can't help but view Brunson, the, the totality of Brunson. I'm just never going to be one of those people who's like, the Knicks are really good. And Brunson's the Knicks best player MVP. You know, like that's just, I I can't, I'm never going to think like that. I care too much about overall impact and Brunson's defense for me is just always going to be there. I get and appreciate Knicks fans. Yeah. Right. And I get and appreciate Knicks fans who are like, who love the grit and love and like, I love Brunson for my own reasons. I'm just saying that that was the first time that I was like, okay, his offense is so good. That, like, if they just – and to your point, if Julius Randle can just be that supporting piece, that – the Knicks can go to the Eastern Conference I, Finals. They can make the finals. Like,
0: <laughs> I mean, he needs to continue being ridiculous in the short mid-range. I just – that was the other statistic I was looking up. He's – he's a third of his shots are coming from the short mid-range, and they should because he's – since the first two weeks of the season, he's hitting, like, everything from there. Like, I, I love that, and that's, to me – that's one thing that probably will never change to some extent is that you need to be able to hit that shot in the playoffs. And um, he's hit it a lot. So as long as they could figure out, continue to figure out how to get him those shots um, and he, he could figure out how to give himself those shots and hits them like that's that's, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. And can I, can I just say for a guy who's struggling like Randall or not, he's not struggling now, but he struggled historically in the playoffs. There is more merit to, to bring back up the going small thing. If you think that Randall in small lineups has a better chance of getting to those spots against playoff defenses that are set in the half court, yeah. there is merit to maybe losing uh, other games in the macro because, like, okay, we're gonna get our best or second best player in a rhythm that's going to have long term games. Games, so I do think there is uh intangible merit there or maybe intangible is the wrong word but
0: (laughs) well no and and i think that'll be matchup dependent too in the playoffs right it's like an og guard does does tibs feel confident having og guard the five one and then two um does he feel comfortable enough on the boards and uh that's a big area that i'm curious to see continue or how it continues is og not necessarily his individual rebounding. Like we talked about rebounding before and like impact of team rebound or individual impact, individual rebounding impact on team re- rebounding and so on and so forth. But like, cause he's never been a great rebounder, but they seem to be rebounding the hell out of the ball since he came aboard. So something worth, worth continuing to monitor.
1: Yeah. We, uh, I, we are going to wrap this one. We really appreciate you coming on John. This was a lot of fun talking about uh, these. Course. Few topics. um Yeah, I just want to say again, thank you so much for joining us. And not only do you spend upwards of what is it, forty hours on a microphone, but whatever, you know, too many. You, you got a family, a day job, you're everywhere, um and to come spend some time with us on, you know, hot hand theories, it's it's really a solid and, and it really means a lot. We really appreciate it. um And yeah, no, anything you want to say, Jeff, before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just want to echo the sh- the thoughts I opened the show with. You're, you know. one of the good ones you're one of the great ones on nick's twitter and like i certainly wouldn't have the platform i do if it wasn't for you so thanks thanks for giving us your time and helping us out
0: it truly the least i could do you guys are um doing something that it's funny it's like we're in 2024 now and like everybody and their daughter has a podcast and (laughs) but yet you there you're filling a a space that is not that was not being filled and it's like you're doing it well and it just goes to show that like there's a good there's a good fun engaging interesting you know entertaining way to do anything if you care about it and you like you know or and you're you're good at it which you guys are um but yeah no thanks for the kind words uh you know uh, it's it's been quite a journey looking forward to continuing it uh, but yeah, make sure, here's my plug. Give, give these guys a, a nice, uh, five-star rating and and review. If you're listening to this, that would be my ask.
1: <laughs> yeah. Listen to John. Thanks. <laughs> that would, that would mean a lot to us. And, uh, yeah, obviously if you know us, you know, Nick's film school. So you'll catch John on all the various things we have going on over there at KFS. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it guys.